live and pre-recorded from the Cyber FM studio. I had just gotten off the air for my Anything Goes show that's on a Tuesday. I'm rearranging my entire lifestyle because the guy from Blighty is in Australia. And now we have to talk about, again, Luxembourg, right? We had this whole Luxembourgers and Luxembourgies. And, uh, I mean, at this point, the the next question is going to be, what do we refer to? If we're referring to Luxembourg so often, right? We got tokens, two tokens, token E. Now, CMS. I think we're just going to... I think we're just going to name the show uh, the Royale with cheese. <laughs> well, we could. Well, uh, we, uh, as you say, after the break, uh, James, we got Daniel Kerr coming on from um, Tokeny, Um and Tokeny is Tokeny, and they're based in Luxembourg. So, um, and as you say, we were talking to see uh, Oriel from CMS early at the beginning of the month, and. We were saying, is she a Luxembourgie or Luxembourger or Luxembourgek? Or, uh, and Daniel thinks he's, forget the Luxembourg bit, he just called himself a hamburger. So maybe we should get McDonald's or Wendy's or, you know, Tommy Horton or, you know, one of the big burger chains to start sponsoring digital bikes. Sponsored by Hooters. Hooters. Well, the good thing have, is, if you have, have you been a to Hooters? Hooter, if you have Hooters in the, in the uh, metaverse, um, you know, you're not gonna you're not gonna put weight on, are you? You can have as many Hooters and many Cheese Royales and Big Macs as you like. Yeah, fake fat, fake fat. <laughs> Boy, are ESG well, credentials. Well, well, <laughs> well, look, welcome to this week's Digital Bites. As, as you say, I'm I'm still um, down under in Australia, where um, they've just had an incredible amount of rain. Um, and as I as I said in my um, covering notes um, to all our readers today, you know the beautiful Pacific Sydney Bay looks more like um, Old Father Thames in London. It's a very grubby brown colour. Um, only difference is, is in London um, we don't have bull sharks swimming up the Thames. But I've been reliably informed there's lots of sharks swimming outside. So that looks lovely. Not sure if I fancy a dip, you know. That wretched film Jaws, every time I jump in the sea, I hear do 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 And poor old sharks, they get such a hard time. But uh, but there you go. So it's, so it's a burger brown river with <laughs> sharks. I don't, I don't think sharks I want to visit. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing a very good job for uh, tourism. But I, I tell you what, the Australians are absolutely delightful. Um, had a Had a great time. And, been really interesting um some of the things that have been going on and we'll, we'll touch on a couple of them but in particular just want to draw people's attention to a project that um anz the big australian new zealand bank have run last week and they issued 30 million us um sorry aussie dollars worth of um effectively a digital australian dollar backed by australian dollars and it, it's being seen as a potential precursor for an australian central bank digital currency um and and it's it, it's really interesting. And we we actually wrote about something similar this week. Um, central bank digital currencies inch ever closer to the mainstream. Um, and the reason that we um, have written about this is that it seems more and more countries are are do actually doing things um, in in this sector. Uh, again, last week we saw the Bank of Japan. Um, and bear in mind. 
people sometimes forget Japan is the third biggest economy in the world. They're very, very digital savvy. Um, and they've just announced that they're now going to their second stage of their central bank digital um, project. And in a similar sort of way, um, the UK finally seems to be getting it sort of act together. And it's almost as if, and as we described, it's sort of painting by dot to dot, either joining up the dots to create a picture. Um, and the Bank of England seems to have gone from being very nonchalant, not that engaged, um, to actually putting out a paper recently saying um, we need to seriously look at digital assets. Um, there are some very, very um, interesting opportunities. We saw the deputy of the Bank of England, a chap called Sam Woods, um, in a letter on the 24th of March, um, writing that we need to start embracing this because there are advantages. There's obviously challenges. Um, and then finally in the UK, we saw a company called Finality. Um, and Finality, which is basically um, backed by 16 of some of the largest banks and um, institutions on, on a global basis. And they picked up a new investor, Euroclear, um, last week. And they also announced um, that the Bank of England were going to make available banking facilities. Now, I know this is all a bit techie, but the Bank of England only offers banking facilities typically to governments, central banks and commercial banks. Finality is not, not any one of those. But it would seem that um, what the Bank of England are going to do is allow them to deposit money so that the coin that Finality create will be backed by cash and that will enable them to operate outside of um, something called gross real-time settlement, which is the way the Bank of England um, effectively settle and offset monies between various banks where it holds accounts for them. And the reason it needs to operate outside gross time settlement is that the Finality coin is going to be able to trade 24 hours a day. So it's it's something which is really, really important. And seven days a week, unlike the current situation, whereby it's only operating, obviously, five days a week. So this is this is really important because, you know, Finality has got people like Credit Suisse and Commerce Bank and um, Mitsubishi Finance, Mizzo, um, NASDAQ, Santander, State Street, UBS, Barclays, ING, Lloyds. So a lot of different banks and institutions behind Finality. And we're finally seeing... Um, this coming to light, which I think is really, really important um, as we see governments having their own digital currency. So I feel like the Bank of England is backing the coin. Yeah. It, well, what it seems like, James, is that what they're doing, they're allowing the, if you like, the commercial sector to experiment and trial and prove out this concept in the UK. Like um, sandbox. You've already got... It's, yeah, it's like a sandbox. So rather, and if it goes horribly wrong, then it's not it's not the responsibility of the Bank of England because they'll say, "Look, we if were it, just trying to help us." Right. If it goes horribly wrong, they're going to go, "Well, it wasn't us." <laughs> Absolutely. But if but if it goes horribly right, they'll say, "Well, of course it was a good idea, and that's why we put out a um, a paper. That's why our deputy governor has been talking about. It. That's why we've been helping this company Finality." So you can see all the reasons why um, this makes sense um, for them because. They're getting a lot of pressure, um, certainly here in the UK, to say, look, if we don't do something about this, then, you know, potentially the UK is going to be left behind without a doubt. So it's something which they've really got to get to grips with because the it's really weird. The whole, When we've talked about this before, the whole digital 
currency, cryptocurrency kind of revolution was kicked off, obviously, by Bitcoin. Um, and it was seen as a way of getting around the banks and the institutions and, and not having to rely on these entities. And now you've got the very same entities saying, hey, hang on. By using a digital currency, we create a digital footprint. It means we can now have another tool to control our economy, to potentially um, take on the shadow economy, which, again, we, we've spoken about this all. It's about 15% of the world GDP. So what we have now is an ability for governments to have much better control of where the money is being spent by who. And, and we, 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 we touched on this in this article because many people don't realise that actually it's illegal in France for you to actually make a purchase, if you're a French resident, of more than a thousand euros in cash. Um, in Spain, they've just reduced that cash amount from two and a half thousand euros to a thousand euros. So if you want to go and buy a good or a service in Spain or France, then you have to do it by some sort of bank transfer or some electronic mess, some methodology. Wait a minute. They, they Wait, don't want, I, I they don't want using cash. I've never heard of this. Leave it yeah. to the idea that I'm in the United States, right? So well, you're... Okay, well, let, let's, well, let's flip over to the States then. So if you take more than $10,000 into the USA, you right. are required to complete the International Transportation and Currency Monetization Instrument documentation. Correct. So you have to fill out. So what happens, James, if I wander into the States later this year and on my phone or on my digital wallet, I've got $12,000 worth of um, a, a, a cash back, you know, of, of USDC, which is a cash backed US dollar stable coin. Are you telling me I've got to report that because I've now come into the country with effectively 12,000 US dollars? So, so this is the problem. Right. What if, it's not uh, cash, so but it is cash. So I do the same thing. I fly into your country, and I just happen to have a, a, a debit card in my wallet with $15,000 available no, on it. No, because the debit card is linked. The cash at that stage is still in the USA. But if you come into the UK with a, a memory stick or a, or a cold wallet, or you've got a digital wallet on your phone, which gives you immediate access to that money, I'm posing the question. I'm not giving you the answer, but it would seem to me right. that actually you, you've just bought $12,000 into the UK. You need now to declare that. If you're walking with $12,000 in, in your wallet, cash, you'd have to declare it. So what's the difference between that and a cash-backed digital currency? I don't see the difference. I get it. I'm with you now. And that's what I was like, well, what's going on? So... And that goes back to just blockchain in general, right? So if the wallet resides on my phone and I have $12,000 in CyberFM token on my yeah. phone. Uh, that's slightly different because Cyber.fm tokens arguably is a security. It's, it, it could be argued to be like a loyalty scheme. So it could, you could say, well, I've got, got $50,000 worth of American Airlines points. Well, that's that's not the, the government don't care about that. Okay. But if it's fifty thousand or twelve thousand dollars worth of cash backed instrument, well, it's backed by cash. So that's why I use the example USDC. You can't use Tether because arguably it's not one hundred percent backed by cash, allegedly. But USDC is one hundred percent backed by cash. Or well, that's what they tell us. That's what they tell us. So so it does come down to 
who is so so there has to be a whitelisting that's going to occur. Yep. First and of foremost. what you can and cannot. So right. what you can and cannot. So, but what happens if you go into El Salvador? I, off the top of my head, I don't know what the regulations are in terms of bringing money into El Salvador. But El Salvador legal currency is Bitcoin. So if you've got twelve thousand pounds worth of Bitcoin, well, that's legal currency. So that's like cash in, in El Salvador. So can you start seeing the complications that of embracing a digital cash-backed stable coin, central bank digital currencies? You're going to have to change the law in terms of bringing money in and out. Yeah, and what's good for one is not the other. Yeah, yeah, that, and, and and we're seeing, you know, with 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 the you know what's happening in particular in in Ukraine with Russia, and and on the positive side, people are sending money, sending cryptocurrencies, you know, millions to help the poor Ukrainians who are being literally bombed out of their homes and hospitals. And so that's a good thing um, because we're able to immediately, literally at the flick of a switch, send money to help these poor people. The bad side is people are worried that actually the oligarchs and the, and the super wealthy Russians and potentially the Russian, or the Russian government has already said, look, if you want to buy our oil and gas, fantastic, we'll now accept Bitcoin. So that potentially gets around the very sanctions that many other countries have imposed on Russia in order to try and encourage them to stop bombing innocent people. So you can see this is it's, you know, again, as we we've talked before, you know, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. Because Bitcoin can be used to help the Ukrainians, but it can also be used to help get around sanctions potentially in jurisdictions that people are saying, well, no, we, we want, we've imposed these jurisdictions because we think that what you're doing is just not right. And, you know, you're threatening the peace of potentially the world and that's not what we want. So it, it's not, it's not binary. It's not, it's good. It's bad. You can make an argument both ways. And I think that's the challenge of this whole decentralized technology that we're increasingly seeing. And the concern has to be, unfortunately, at a macro level, we're seeing a decline in democracy worldwide. There's more and more dictators. There's more and more despots who are saying, I'm going to do it this way. I don't care about the democracy and what the people want. This is what I think is good for the people. Now, those undemocratic jurisdictions, I should imagine they're not going to be very keen on a decentralized, highly transparent way of moving money around. Because if it's transparent, people can see, you know, in a nanosecond or in 10 years time, where that money was moved from and to. And if it's decentralized, they can't control it and say, oh, we're going to impose foreign currency restrictions, or we're not going to let you do this. We're not going to let you do that. Because it's, they're losing control. So unfortunately, you can see why there'll be quite a lot of pushback from decentralization, which is a key tenant of digital assets, and it's one of the key benefits that blockchain technology has brought to society, arguably. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting when that one country that we, and I'm not saying it's one, but I'm saying there is always that one country that you think is like paradise, and all of a sudden they're going to do that 180 and go, ooh, well, what do you mean transparency? But, but it's also very interesting how... Again, if you if you read the letter from the central bank um, in the UK, the Bank of England, um, if you read um, some of the stuff that's coming out of the US, look at what's happening in the European Union when they're talking about. And it's funny, they seem to they don't seem to like mention the word very often blockchain. 
They like talking about decentralized ledger technology. But whether you use DLT or whether you use the word blockchain, in essence, what both of them provide and, and the core benefit of the technology is transparency. And with that transparency comes trust. And, and trust is a pretty rare commodity, um, you know, when you start dealing with anything, you know, outside your, your family and very close friends. Right. You know, corporates basically don't like being totally transparent and open because they've usually got a hidden agenda. <clears throat> you know, whether it be, you know, the, the, the products they sell or the services, it may be good for, it may be better for the company than it is for, um, you know, maybe some of the consumers. And you look, you look at sort of, you know, armaments and look at drugs and look at you know the tobacco trade and the alcohol trade and look at the you know we're talking about earlier on the beginning of the show about you know the likes of Wendy's and, and and mcdonald's and burger king and you know they they produce some great stuff but we all know that if all you did was ever just eat you know fries and burgers it's not going to be great for your waistline and therefore your health so there's that real dilemma you know we want to advertise and promote you to use our products and services but actually it should be in moderation and whether that's cookie bars or fizzy drinks or whatever it may well be, but by having transparency and, and I know you're working on a project at the moment, um, James, which, you know, to do with, to do with space and, and, you know, as we're saying, well, you know, with that particular project, the transparency, you know, at one level, it's great. You're going to send a rocket up into the sky. You're going to um, maybe have a satellite, which will tell you, you know, where there's flooding or what the weather's going to be or the traffic. There's loads of uses for these satellites. And, you know, there's thousands a year being sent up. And that all sounds really good. But but what's the what's the carbon footprint? You know, how many tons of CO2 when you blast that rocket up into the sky or to physically make and use all those rare commodities to make these very sensitive sort of instruments? And so that whole ESG you know, environmental, social, corporate governance, it's becoming a really, really important part of um, investing when investors say, well, okay, well, I'll put money into that mutual fund or I'll put money into that individual company, but what are your ESG credentials? And again, the way that's related back to blockchain is quite simply, if you actually have your credentials, you have your system and your procedures on a blockchain, then you can very, very easily on a permission basis, you can show your staff, you can show your suppliers, you can show your potential investors. And then they have the information to say, no, you're not particularly ESG or, or you're more ESG compliant than another one. You may be a little bit more expensive, but actually we're going to go with the more sustainable, more eco-friendly manufacturer than the one that's just saying, oh, we'll just dump a whole load of materials in the, you know, in the brown Sydney sea as, I, as I'm looking out the hotel window. <laughs> right the the brown river but i'm sure they haven't been doing that but but you know even here you know the reason it's brown is because it's all the storm drainage and it's just flushed all the streets and come down all the rivers and you know like all that sort of stuff there's very little they can do about it but nevertheless in an ideal world they you wouldn't be sending sort of you know rainwater in the streets to flush your way through so so we do digress a little bit but i say in the article looking at central bank digital currencies you know We've seen massive adoption. Um, you know, we're talking about there was a report saying for remittance of cash, I move money from one country to another. You know, they, they reckon it could be um, cutting the cost of remittance by 93%. And that's why, 
in Africa, this year we've seen an over 2,000% increase in the usage of digital assets because, you know, people are saying, well, no, I want to move money around, but I'm not going to use the banks. It's so much cheaper to use a digital currency. And at the moment, a stable coin loses money. So who, the companies that are issuing these stable coins, they're not making money out of it. However, as we start to see interest rates rising, then I see no reason why the issuers of the stable coins will not be keeping, say, 20% of interest rates. Now, at the moment here in Australia, money in the bank, you earn half a percent a year. So they're going to earn 0.1%. So you say, oh, don't worry about that. Well, let's say inflation kicks in even further and we see interest rates back up to um, 5% just here in Australia or America or Europe. And I think that is very, very likely personally. Well, then they're going to earn 1% a year just for holding your money. Now, that becomes a very attractive business proposition. And let's be honest, if you could, if you could earn 80% of what the banks earn, you, nine times out of 10, you'd be really happy because the banks don't normally pay out as much of the interest as that. So stable coins perversely will be good for the issuers and really good for potential holders of stable coins. It's faster and it's cheaper. And potentially you're going to earn a better return on your money than you would just by leaving it on deposit in a bank. And, and we've been testing this now. You know, the big exchanges are offering APY on USDCs now. Just, I call it a great experiment. But with what you're saying, that, that aligns with the fact that it will work. It would work. These exchanges don't have nearly half the amount of customers that a, you know, a massive bank would. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it does raise the question, James, what happens to the banks? Now, at one level, unless you work for a bank, you say, well, who cares? Well, we do need to be mindful that the banks historically provided the lubrication, the, the cash, the lending, um, et cetera, to help the economy. You know, what would you do if you want to, where to get a mortgage from? You haven't got a bank. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, again, you hear that all the time, right? People hate the big banks, hate banks, but you, you got nothing, you know. You have no car loan, you have no mortgage, you have no credit, you have no, you have nothing without a bank. Yeah. It's just what, and, what and does the bank become? If the DeFi sector can, can sort of take off to a greater extent, then, um, you, you know, that in theory, you might be able to borrow money from sort of that and, as, as a mechanism. And we, we, again, we've talked about it before, you know, in the lending sphere, we've got buy now, pay later, um, you know, the, right. the likes of PayPal. And Klarna in Sweden, which is now, you know, it's the biggest fintech in, in Europe. They've built their business off the basis of rather than paying $100 up front, you pay $110 over the next um, four months. I, so you spread, I you thought of pain. you, I thought of you let, this past week. I was going to tell you, and you just reminded me. So I had to order rims and tire, wheels and tires for my okay. son's car. Yep. And I saw it on the bottom. Lease with catapult, and I went ooh, okay. and and I made it a point. I said to my son, "Let's try this. Let's put it under." You know, in America, we have a social security number. Yep. So let's use use your social, right? And maybe we can establish you know, a little credit for you. So I said, "Yeah, let's let's apply this." They gave him two thousand dollars to the account. Wow, he wound up spending. 1780 I think, right? And it's going to be 200 a month for 12 months, something like that. 
I looked at the pay, you know, I looked at the fine print, no early payoff fees, nothing like that. And then I noticed that it was Catapult, but it's owned by a firm. Remember a firm? Go on. I was saying, you might, we, I think we brought up a firm last week. So Klarna and a firm and all them, they are now yep. creating sub-products of these products with the buy now, pay later industry. They're yep. already going from rent to lease to own in that theory. Yep. My mind was blown. It was, it was, because when you think of a lease, what is a lease? You're paying for the negative equity. Yep. So this is all an example of private industry. It's not using crypto, not using blockchain tech, but it's still private industry pulling you away from a bank. Yep. Well, and, and uh, but, but it won't be long before you see some of these companies. They'll say, well, actually, we're going to have our own digital currency then we really can completely bypass the bank and we'll just take your money out of your digital wallet via a smart contract. So Johnny, we know you've got, you know, your income is, I don't know, let's say a thousand dollars a month. So we're going to automatically, when it hits your digital wallet, we'll ring fence, you know, that $200 of that via a smart contract to pay what you've agreed to pay us. So you can see how it could be used. Now, whether again, that's right or wrong, I'm, I'm, that's not for me to judge. But you can see how the technology could be used in a very transparent, open way to protect the lender to make sure he gets back his money that he's lent me. Yeah, and it crept up on us in a real-world scenario. I said, there yeah. it is. Look at that. Right on the website. One, one, one of the other articles that we did we did actually put in this week's Digital Bytes was, again, returning to a subject of self-sovereign identity. Um, and and the, the only thing that I want to really touch on is because it, it is very much relating to, again, your data, your information, um, and particularly when it comes to travel and when it comes to banking. Uh, and that is, you know, with a, if you've got control of your data, if you've got self-sovereign, i.e. You, you control your information, um, you can see how that is going to be quite a significant thing for you personally, rather than you just giving your data to the bank or to the Facebook, Apple, Netflix, Google, et cetera, et cetera that have built multi, multi-trillion dollar businesses off the back of your information. And it was interesting. Do you remember we had um, a couple of weeks ago, Fraser, not, not the TV guy um, or the guy from Cheers, but um, Fraser Edwards from um, Checked. Right. And basically that's a technology company trying to help individual organizations to take back control of the data. And they've done some meta-analysis and they reckon that the self-sovereign identity market is worth over $500 billion a year for something most people have got no idea what self-sovereign identity is. That's a, but third, that's a third of the current crypto market cap. Yep. Yep. We're a quarter because mar- the market's done pretty well this week. But, <laughs> but nevertheless, it's a big, it's a big number. It's a big, big number. Yeah. Yeah. Um, seriously. Uh, you know, but, but they're saying, you know, in the States alone, identity theft um, you know, in 2019 was half a, half a trillion, i.e. 500 billion. And by 2020, that had gone up to 712 billion. So you can see why with identity theft, you know, being at that sort of level, 
it's so important to have more control over your identity and have it held in a more secure way using blockchain technology, which is cryptographically secure. It's got to be a lot better than just having it written down on a bit of paper or in a filing cabinet or sending a fax or you know, scanning your information. Who knows where it goes? Uh, and that's really, I think that, that's the main thing. You know, the article goes into a lot more detail, but just the fact that self-sovereign identity worth over half a trillion dollars globally, you can begin to see why this is going to impact on our lives. You know, a lot of the self-sovereign identity um, platforms are driven using blockchain technology. Most people won't care. They're not interested. They'll never know that, that the fact that blockchain technology can use, but they will care that their data and their information is theirs and they control it and they're not being exploited. And hopefully it'll make it less prone to theft and, and hacking. Yeah, it'll come down to the tools. Um, companies like Checked might create, you know, user friendliness. And then, like you said, nobody's going to acknowledge what's going on in the background. So there you go. So, yeah, no, uh, we, with a, we won't go through it, but we also wrote about how blockchain innovation is obviously coming to the finance industry. And we were talking about the, the role of um, of the technology to disintermediate. I get rid of, you know, your potential stockbrokers and financial advisors and wealth managers. Um, as we see more and more advice and management monies on, on a sort of bot type basis. Um, and then after the break, we've, we've got uh, Daniel, um, who'll be, um, and he's from, as I said, he's from Tokeny, which is based in Europe. Um, and he's going to be talking about the catalyst for institutional assets, tokenization prosperity. That sounds a very, a very grand title. Um, but essentially, you know, they're working with a number of institutions and already seeing interest um, in, in Europe, which is obviously where they're based, around how do you tokenize, not, not Bitcoin, Ethereum, stuff like that, but how do you tokenize real assets, i.e. debt instruments, equities, real estate? Um, and then once they're tokenized, well, kind of so what? What benefits does it give you? What, what, what better controls and risk controls and compliance controls does it give you? Um, and how does it make it more democratic? You know, we shouldn't lose sight of that. There's 1.7 billion people in the world that are outside the financial system. They don't have access to, you know, borrowing money, um, apart from perhaps, you know, loan sharks and the sort, you know, of getting decent insurance, of getting credit, of earning an interest on their, on their cash. And, and this is one of the big advantages that obviously digitalization of money brings to, you know, 1.7 billion people. And that's that their World Bank figures. We're not just making that. That's what the World Bank claim. And that could help the overall world economy if you've got more people engaged and, and, and being able to sort of buy and sell goods and, and use, you know, the capital they've got for, for a better effect. Yeah, the unbanked is what uh, I call them, the unbanked. Um, the efficiency alone in, in bringing that demographic in, they must be at absolutely, if you had to say they're like 1% efficiency. Going to a loan shark, risking your life, that's not yep. point and click at all. <laughs> no. Well, it is, well, it's point and click, but it's with a Colt 45, maybe. Yeah, right. <laughs> or as Clint said, are you feeling lucky, punk? Blow your Go head ahead, clean off. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we'll, we'll be back after the break. If, if anyone would like a copy, as we will say, of Digital Bytes, we send it out every Wednesday. Um, and um, it comes out weekly. And what we're basically trying to do is showcase and give examples, as you've heard today, of how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. 
Um, there's no advertising. There's no recommendations. We're not authorized to give financial advice. Um, you know, either James or myself or our respective companies. But we're simply trying to raise people's awareness of, of some of the different ways this technology, these assets are being used in business and in, in society and, 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 and by people to try and improve and iron out some of the inefficiencies. So if you'd like a copy, then just get hold of James Tiley um, at cyber.fm um, or myself, Johnny Fry. Both of us are on uh, LinkedIn and we'll happily send you a copy. And um, yeah, and otherwise we'll, we'll be back on the air next week. But meanwhile, we've got a short break. And then after that, we've got Daniel Kerr from Tokeny all the way from Luxembourg um, talking about why he might be a hamburger. At this point, I'm going to Luxembourg. Just for the meat. <laughs> Just for the meat, yeah. Well, you'd probably go for a veggie burger, though, wouldn't you? No, I will, that will never enter my, my mouth. <laughs> I'll eat a tofu burger or a veggie burger <laughs> if it was grilled <laughs> on the same grill. <laughs> right, you're as just, the actual meat. You're out of order. You're out of order. <laughs> you can lie to me. All right, well, we'll be back after the break. And, uh, but thank you for listening to the Digital Bite Show here on Cyber.fm. Hey, we are back. It's the end of March, right? March comes in like a lion, out like a lamb. That's what we say over in America, anyway. And uh, Johnny, got more of your European guys over there, huh? We talked about yeah, Luxembourg well, all month. And, yeah, we had uh, Luxembourg at the beginning of the month. Luxembourg. Actually, D- Daniel, how would you, if you lived in Luxembourg, would you be a Luxembourger or a Luxembourgeois or how, how would you be referred oh, to? That's right. A hamburger. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens. See, I think you're a Luxembourger. I can resist everything but temptation. So I, I, I would become a hamburger myself. <laughs> uh, I would be a Luxembourgish. Well, actually, I am Luxembourgish. Um, I've been living 25 years in, in Luxembourg and I got recently my Luxembourg nationality, uh, which I'm very proud of because this is a country that have given me a lot of, uh, you know, a good life. Uh, and I'm, I'm very proud to be able to, uh, you know, to be part of that community. Yeah. So now we got Luxembourgish. You're Luxembourgish and you're, you're, you're living or you're currently, um, I'm, I'm just south of London in the UK. James is over in um, over in the states, so North, North Florida, Carolina way, and and you're in Monaco. Well, I'm temporarily the pools. I'm, I'm temporarily Monaco. Um, when I run out of money, I have to come back. <laughs> <laughs> so um, now we we actually won a contract uh, with the Monaco government. Uh, Monaco has been passing a law last year that enables to uh, to do capital raise uh, through the issuance of digital security and. Uh, they were extremely concerned with reputational risk because, you know, they have those uh, limited companies here. They call SAM, which is uh, really the growl here. And uh, because you can obviously, um, you know, hand shares uh, um, physically. Um, and they were really concerned that by representing them with tokens that they would end up in, in, in the end of people that would not be welcome in Monaco. And so Tokeny came and, and, and we explained how we can ensure compliance and, and, and always, you know, remain in control of, of, of those assets, in this case of, of, of the shares of the company. And they were very pleased with that. And they asked us to, uh, to set up a, a, an entity in Monaco because they obviously want, uh, you know, to, uh, to have those, those platform close to their regulator. And that's what we did. Wow. Wow. So and Tokeny itself um, it is 23.5% owned by... Euronext, which is the biggest stock exchange or uh, owner in, in Europe, is that, is that have I got my facts right? 
Well, actually, a little bit less because we we just completed a, a fundraise uh, in December last year. Uh, that indeed, in addition to um, to Euronext, uh, with uh, that was our strategic investor for about two years now. We've welcomed another well, two strategic investors. Uh, one um, that is uh, called uh, Apex, which is I think the largest uh, privately owned asset servicer in the world. Beside the super huge guys such as Citibank, State Street, Boney, and uh, etc., I think that Apex is the largest. They have uh, 8,000 people worldwide, and they've been wow. growing super fast through acquisition. Uh, Peter Hughes is, is, a, is an amazing person, a visionary CEO that has brought you know this group to uh, to the size of what it is today. And so we have welcomed them uh, in December together with another company based in the U.S. called Inveniam, which is also very close to our heart because Inveniam is a Actually, I came across Inveniam uh, two years ago. There was a, a podcast, you know, I love podcasts, as you can see, uh, that was uh, done by, by uh, Pat Omera. And he was describing his vision of blockchain and how um, uh, his vision was that it, the blockchain would enable to have all this data actionable. Uh, and, and this was really his speech action, to, to, to make this data actionable. And, and I really you know, embraced that vision and I, you know, contacted him and has been in touch with him for the last two years. And we came across this discussion of, you know, we're doing a fundraise and he said, well, we want to invest. And I, wow, that's, that was amazing. And, and what Invenam has been doing is that they've developed this notion of digital twins, um, first starting with real estate assets. And what they do is they collect data as much as data as, as possible. So big data and through AI, they are unable to do real time pricing of, of real estate assets. And, and, and as you can see, you know, as the vision of, of Tokeny through the relationship with Euronex is to start building secondary trading uh, platform for private assets. What you miss basically with private assets um, is pricing, because if you don't have a pricing, how, you know, what is the value that you trade on, right? So combining the, the technology of Tokeny uh, to support secondary trading for private assets with Invenium technology that enables us to have real-time pricing, you start to have something that is extremely exciting. Okay, so um, you've written an article this 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 week, um, and, and thank you very much for for doing so. To talk about the catalyst for institutional asset tokenization prosperity, um, what, what are you what what are you saying? Are you saying that there is a catalyst, or this will be the catalyst for institutions to get involved? I, I, I'm interested because I found the article fascinating, but I was intrigued by the title. <laughs> well, I, I could have called it as well the Kodak syndrome. Um, where, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, the, the race is started and I saw so many people that didn't, don't even have their shoes on, right? So um, it, it is clear now to everyone that the blockchain is, is going to bring this amazing opportunity. Um, I, I, I like this. And there was a guy that told me that, you know, f- f- when, when you look at, at, at uh, infrastructure and finance, you know, um, you have all this technology changes and, and you have a, an infrastructure that is 30, 50 years old, right? And, and, and when you need to, to upgrade those infrastructure, one guy told me, you know, it's like changing, you know, a car that is 200 miles an hour on a highway and you try to change his engine. Um, it, it doesn't work, right? You cannot stop a car, change the engine and say, guys, you're not going to stop my service, come back in two years. That doesn't work, right? So, so blockchain is, is offering that opportunity to move all those assets on, in, on the common infrastructure and benefit from an infrastructure where you can transfer value, well, you know, all the benefits that, that blockchain deliver. And we really see that as a, a major upgrade from a te- technology perspective for all those financial institutions. So obviously, you know, if, if all are going onto that new infrastructure, 
you don't want to be the last one. Right. right. Oops. I think that there is a phone is ringing. It's okay. Uh, uh, it's probably the wife saying, can you get some milk on your way home? Johnny's a pretty important guy. It's my bank calling me. What the, are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> get off the air. Get it's off Prince, the air. It's Prince Rainier saying we're going to kick you out. We didn't realize you were a Luxembourg or a hamburger. Well, it's funny because I was talking about Invenium and this is my buddy from Invenium calling me. Probably his ear was ringing or something like that. So, 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 and, and so coming back to the article, yes, I think that there's a, uh, you know, this massive opportunity that is now taking place for financial inst institutions to upgrade their IT infrastructure and move to to a, a, a you know, one that is shared across all entities, uh, and 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 this is happening now. I think that uh, we've seen a lot of um, proof of concept discussion last year. You know, people were probably setting aside some budget to to you know to decide what they're going to do with it this year, and now suddenly you know all those large financial institutions are starting to move their the assets on, on the blockchain and, and not as POC anymore, but in real production environments. So this is for me what is what is a game changer this year is, is that this is real this is real production environment that we are talking about now and not not testing environments. Okay, because you mentioned in your article that HSBC think the market by only 2027 could reach 24 trillion in terms of you know the, the, the amount of assets that have been effectively digitized tokenized you know people use different different words for it but you know this it's interesting i know certainly from a uk perspective and talking to and also to a number of the european asset managers because that was a field i was in for many years a lot of them have said to me i don't want to be the first but we want to be a very very close second so there, as you said there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes and you just need one or two players to suddenly break and say, look, we're actually doing it. And again, I know in your, in your article, you talked about Luxembourg have just recently emitted some security tokens. And early this month, we were talking to um, Aurela Vimon from, from CMS, who I think you know, because um, you've done some work on Blockhome, hadn't you? Um, which was um, a digitization <laughs> of some real estate. So y y there's actually things happening rather than just people talking about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, we started Tokeny four years ago and uh, our bread and butter was to work with single issuer, multiple issuer, digital marketplaces is the one you refer to, Block Home and others, uh, Black Menta. We've been servicing those customers for quite a number of, of years now. And, and we really see, you know, um, uh, two um, opportunities that we have addressed during those last years. One is, is um, coming from, from those people that have expertise in certain verticals like real estate, and I want to disrupt a, a market that they understand very well through the use of, of digital solution, including blockchain base. And then you have those financial institutions that obviously, you know, see, uh, you know, this, this um, financial ecosystem as a, as a huge playground and, uh, and, and, and they have assets that they need to send to transfer. And, and for the moment, they were, you know, um, doing that through the use of, uh, you know, third party uh, trusted agent being, you know, um, transfer agents, CSD, central security depositories, uh, cash correspondent, et cetera, et cetera. And now you have this, this uh, you know, common infrastructure uh, that obviously make all those roles in, in a way obsolete. So, um, but the reality is that, and you can make the analogy with, with emails, right? Um, uh, it's like, you know, if everyone is sending email, why, why the hell would you still communicate with, with your client by sending it, you know, registered, a career, right? In, in a traditional way, that that doesn't work. So that you would exclude yourself uh, from from you know 
um, the benefit of, of being in a digital world. So that's why I think that I, 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 I don't see any financial institution, you know, staying outside of, of, of that environment. So um, the figures that those, you know, uh, market analysis are projecting is simply the ramping up the transition to that technology. But at the end of the day, you know, everything will be dematerialized on the blockchain. It's simply more cost efficient. And we know that if, if, if finance can save a couple of bips, they will because this is how it works, right? So, yeah. uh, so, it, it, so I, I don't think that it will leave a choice to the other. They will have to, to migrate um, because, you know, as I said earlier, um, it, it's not about tokenization anymore. It's about, you know, dematerializing assets on infrastructure that is far more cost efficient. efficient. And, and yeah, and in, in, your, in your article, you, you pointed to um, a, a, something called Roland Berger's study um, and, and that they were highlighting the fact that tokenized equity could actually reduce trading costs um, by 4.6 billion by only 2030. So that's just one asset class. And, you know, you think, wow, that, you know, you've got on top of that, you've got debt, you've got <laughs> you got that huge thing called derivatives, and we know ISDRA in the process of updating their master agreements on that. So we could see another big um, push um, from that. And DTCC um, are meant to be Q2 2022, coming out with um, you know their possible solution. But 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 I'm in, I'm intrigued. What do tokeny? Can you describe very simplistically? I, I know what they do, but I, I'd just be interested for you to how would you describe what tokeny do, and and where do you where do you fit into this? dematerialization and, and and therefore the ability for people to list and trade equities well securities well in, in essence you know if you operate on a decentralized infrastructure the assets can circulate freely so if i take for example you know a standard everybody knows erc20 if i send you an erc20 token you will receive it well in a sense this is good right because this is what you were intending to do uh, unlike, uh, but unless you you obviously are sending that to someone that is Russian, for that matter, for the time being, or North Korean, because those people are not eligible for those securities. So if you work on the blockchain like public Ethereum, that is non-permission, how do you ensure that all the rules that are applying to your security can be enforced? It cannot be if you don't add a permission layer on the token. And that's exactly what Tokeny has been developing. We, we use a standard from Ethereum, which is the ERC-20, and we put it on steroids by basically um, providing a control mechanism on the token, uh, on the token that enables the issuer to, to be always in control of his security and make sure that um, he can always enforce the specific terms and conditions of his agreement or the specific regulatory environment for um, in the country of issuance and distribution. How we've done that? We use the standard, we upgrade it, but we also use another standard from Ethereum, which is the ERC-734 and 5, that basically define on-chain identity. So we link the token with an on-chain identity that is not only used for investors, but also for third party that are interacting with the token. For instance, we were talking about this you know, current infrastructure where you have, for instance, a custodian that are supposed to... Um, well, in the past, they were supposed to keep the assets in the vault. That was their yeah. role, right? We yeah. all know now that they're, they are not in the vault anymore. Uh, and, and in the future, they will all be on the blockchain. So they will not keep the assets per se, but they will guarantee either the integrity of the assets. So if you lose your private key, they should be the one guaranteeing that you can access it. But more importantly, 
um, we see that um, they will also be the one ensuring uh, the consistency with regards to how you access those assets. For instance, if you have a, a legal entity or a, a company that's where you have two people that have authorized signature and you need combined signature uh, in order to uh, two signature in order to transfer an asset, mm -hmm. if you use a MetaMask, which you can do by the way, you can use your MetaMask to uh, you know and, and 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 get rid of the custodian. But if you use your MetaMask, you can only yourself sign uh, you know sign the transaction and that's it. Once you sign it, then the transaction get executed. How do you enforce you, this this uh, this four eyes principle that you see in 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 all large you know entities or in most common yeah. entities, right? So therefore, you need solution that will enable to enforce those rules and policy. And this is what you know a custodian will do in the future. They will not keep the assets anymore in the vault, but they will ensure that the internal policy are fully respected on how do you engage with those assets. So of course, that means also that the business model of those uh, um, uh, custodian will change. As you don't keep the asset in your vault anymore, it will be hard to justify that you continue charging asset and the management fee on yeah. the value of those assets. Um, so that will have major impact for them. But, you know, if you look so, at the so Just on that then, Danny, do you think they'll go, instead of charging, you know, five, 10 basis points, like point, point not five, point one, to look after the assets, be the custodian, do you think that they will charge on a on a like trustees do with on a transaction basis? So if the asset doesn't get moved for ten years, there's no fee. But when the asset does get moved, then there is a fee. Is is that what you think will happen? Well, I don't want to project on the on the you know what will be the business model for those um, uh, those guys. I, I think that they are actively looking into that and and see what is reasonable. One thing is for sure is there is a reason for them now stepping into this business because the further they push those new business model to be implemented the longer they will be capable of preserving their current revenue, right? Um, yeah. Because at the end of the day, you, you have the extreming, two extreme. One is, is continue charging like it is now for whatever reasons, uh, but for, actually for no reasons, because as I said, you don't keep the assets anymore. And the other extreme is, is you use MetaMask, you do self-custody and you have no cost anymore, right? Yeah. So, so yeah. probably the, the through is, is in between those extreme. Uh, but as I said, the role will change, but there will still be a need to have that trusted party that will provide a service to the investor. Yeah. Uh, well, and one thing is for certain, if the regulator sees that um, asset managers and regulated companies can do things at, for better value, because ultimately one of the things they're looking for is to treat customers fairly. And if they're saying, well, you can have your analog paper-based systems and it's, it's going to cost more as opposed to this digital solution, which costs less. They could well find that the regulators give them a little bit of pressure to to move to a system whereby you know the client gets better value. But uh, interesting how, how that plays out. It, it is clear, Johnny, that um, blockchain will enable investors um, and issuer to be more in control. And so, in a way, it reduces the stickiness that those entities had with their clients, and it will force them to be more creative. Otherwise, they will lose that business. Uh, and, and just to conclude it on, on your uh, you know, original question is, you know, what does Tokeny? Uh, so Tokeny developed, you know, this permission layer on the top of public Ethereum. So what, what we do is we permission Ethereum. So we bring it at um, institutional, you know, grade level. Uh, and, and we combine that with, with an identity mechanism that enable to identify investors, but also allow third party to continue delivering the service that they have received a mandate to deliver to their clients. So, so we enable this ecosystem to continue operating, but, but, to, but we support, in a way, a transition towards this decentralized infrastructure. Right, right. 
Well, and there's certainly a huge market, which is which is up and coming. Well, you saw the figure from Roland Berger, right? Um, yeah. It seems very uh, impressive, but but what we're talking about is is about all capital markets, because you think about it. You know, any financial instrument today is is using this plumbing. You know, yeah. um, they were referring to clearing and settlement and custody and asset servicing. Every asset today uses this plumbing. If you basically trade an asset, you need to settle it. For instance, yeah. if you look at what's happening on, on an exchange, the exchange is just a place where two counterparty agree, either automatically or manually, on the pricing, you know, of a sales, right? On the price of a sales. But usually the payment, you know, of that transaction related to that transaction and delivery of the security does not take place on the exchange. It takes place on what we call the central security depository, a CSD, such as Euroclear or Clearstream. Uh, so th those are very different roles provided by very different entities. Well, you can easily figure out that, you know, with a smart contract, you know, once you have agreed on the transaction and the two parties enter the terms of that transaction, of course, for, for that transaction to settle what we call on-chain, you need a stable coin, but we can talk about that later on. But once the two counterparties have agreed on that transaction, they enter the terms of the transaction on a blockchain, actually on our solution, we have implemented the DVP function on our platform. And then those... Um, Uh, the, the trade, the settlement of, of that transaction, so the delivery of the cash and, and delivery of the security will take place on chain without any counterparty risk. That means that the, the, the function of a CSD is obsolete, it's not yeah. required anymore. And that's why, obviously, if you look at what the European community is doing, you have two directives. One is MICA, that is defining what is a crypto asset. Yeah. And in that definition, by the way, um, securities are excluded. So, uh, 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 a token that is representing a, a, a financial instrument does not fall into the definition, definition of a crypto asset. But you also have this other directive, which is called the, the pilot regime, that defines those future infrastructure and their role. Because indeed, the role will change. You will not need anymore to use a CSD uh, uh, if you use smart contract to guarantee the finality of a transaction. So again, stripping out more costs, making it more efficient. Far more efficient, uh, obviously. Um, but if you also uh, look at the bigger picture, you know, most of our focus so far has been to enable private instruments to trade more easily. So, um, and, and those private instruments, usually they are not, you know, um, leveraging those infrastructure. So, yes, um, it is true that, you know, anything that is publicly traded on that by law has to use those infrastructure to settle or custodian, et cetera, uh, will, will obviously um, be majorly impacted because uh, the, uh, the blockchain will definitely change that business model. Um, but uh, it will be largely compensated by the fact that they will have far more private instruments that will become transferable, tradable, um, and that will be um, injected into that ecosystem. So more liquidity. So looking at the, at the overall pie, the overall pie will become much bigger. Right, because what we're talking about now are private companies or um, whether it be shares or, or, or loan instruments, which at the moment are very, very illiquid. They will then potentially have a marketplace which enables them to be moved and transferred around much more easily. And therefore, that should inject greater liquidity because people can actually trade in them. So, you know, that, that, that's got to be good news. Uh, well, by, by all means, I think that, um, that that will definitely support investment in private companies. You know, the, the, the problem when you invest in a private company is how do you get out, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, and, and we all know that private company needs time to create value. 
Um, if you inject money in a private company, they use that money to create value, and that does not happen overnight. But once you are, you know, you have invested into this company, and and if you happen to to need money, look at what's happening now. You know, if people want to you know, to uh, to monetize the investment because they need cash, where do they go? So um, for the moment, they would suffer a very high what I define as being an illiquidity cost. So you know, the haircut that they would have to accept uh, because they need to sell where there is no buyer, right? Yeah. So if you come with a platform that enable to you know, simply start by creating discoverability. So like, like eBay, right? If you go on eBay and you know, use the analogy, before eBay, you were selling your chair. If you were you know, living in a dead-end street, good luck to sell your chair. If you're living in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a road where there is a bit of traffic, then obviously you increase your chances. But it's the same for, for, for private instruments, right? If you have no platform to go, then you will suffer a very uh, massive air cap. But if you have a platform where you can create this discoverability and, 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 and use you know, a non-regulated market infrastructure that we have launched and we call the billboard to create you know, visibility on the fact that you are selling, then you increase your chance to find a counterparty and therefore reduce your liquidity cost. Right. And, 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 and that's, that's very similar to what the, DT, the DCC in the US with their project Whitney, um, where they're looking to actually um, find a way to use blockchain technology to su- support and make it much more liquid and more efficient in sort of private non-listed equities. So this is this is something mm-hmm. which, you know, is 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 very much, you know, and bear, for the listeners that aren't aware, um, DTCC, Last year handled over a hundred trillion dollars worth of derivatives and securities. So this is a very big um, entity in, in its own right, based at based out of the USA. Um, da- Daniel, I, I could I could chat for ages, and we've known each other for a while. So I just find it fascinating, and I just so much admiration for what you're doing because it's not been an easy journey, um, and you, you're being very much um, with Luke, very much the forefront of thinking. And um, I think you know, in time, people will turn around and say, well, "We really needed pioneers." Like tokeny, so that that's that's really good. But but James, before we go, um, any any thoughts spring to mind? This is some pretty uh, severe stuff. This is a uh, <laughs> you know high tech, detailed stuff going on. The question I had was really about. I th- I always go to like KYC in AML. Where is KYC stored in this example? I was having trouble finding that. Yeah, well, actually, you know, and, and that's probably where there's a lot of confusion when people are referring to public blockchain. People have the impression that the information is public, available to everyone. That's not true. So the, the principle of an on-chain ID is that when you do a KYC, of course, you are submitting information to a KYC agent to validate your, your document, right? So on your identity, your on-chain identity, there will be a hash that is confirming that you have submitted your a document or something. Well, actually, it will be ash, <laughs> nothing else. Right. And for those that have access to the system, they will see that that ash corresponding to the fact that you have submitted your passport to a KYC agent. And the KYC agent will add what we call a claim on that claim, on that ash, to say, in my capacity of KYC agent, I have validated the passport of Daniel and I'm putting my claim on it to say that it's checked, right? So what you will have on the blockchain is two hashes. And for those that are using our system, they will know that the hash correspond to the passport that was made available and the KYC agent has checked the passport and it was a valid one, right? And, and based on the, 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 the document that you are forwarding, 
you will have a KYC uh, check because obviously KYC is not only about submitting a passport, there are numbers of documents that you have to provide for you to be KYC check. Once you have that check on your identity, you will become eligible, well, for security, because this is how it works, right? We, if you want to invest into a security, you need to be eligible, so you need to do KYC check. All our identity that are using basically token solution must carry that KYC claim on their identity to invest into a security or receive uh, a security from a transfer. Otherwise, it doesn't work. Right, that sounds good. So the general public will, by default, they're going to accept a, a yes or no, like a true false, as opposed to the privacy of their data, you know, the whole GDPR deal. Well, That's good. That's good. You know, it's, it, I, well, obviously, there is. I'm so excited about on-chain ID because it, it can do so many things. You were talking about GDPR. You know, think about how many times did you um, go on, uh, on on a website um, and it was asking you, do you accept cookies? And and you know that if you don't accept the cookies, you don't get the, into into the information, right? So you say yes, right? So if you link that with on-chain ID, for example, you could have um, a claim, a list of claims for every website where you have accepted to share your data. As simple as that. And at the time of deciding whether you want to revoke that access or not, you just go on your own check ID, you see all the data you have been basically providing access, and you revoke those access. And that's it, done, right? Try to figure out today to which company you have provided them you know, access to your data and by, by allowing those cookies. This is just one example of what we can do with on-chain identity. And the on-chain identity, by the way, uh, once we created it, the, the smart contract ownership is given to the investor. So it is his on-chain smart contract uh, identity. He's in full control. So he can decide who access the information on his identity, who reads, who view. Um, so you are always in full control. So my, our ultimate goal is that to address the problem of KYC, um, uh, we need to make people responsible for the, the for the data. So if you are always making sure that your passport is up to date, and by the way, there is a tempor uh, temporality temporality, sorry, element on on-chain ID. So if your passport gets obsolete, the claims get revoked. But if you're always making sure that your data is up to date and you appoint a KYC agent to validate that the data is always up to date and that you have your proper claim on your ID, there's no, then there is no KYC issue anymore, right? It's by making people responsible of their own information and, and then that third party can trust that you solve the KYC uh, problem. Well, there you go, James. Good enough. I got it. All right, but uh, Daniel, thank you very much again for um, for for the article and coming on. Been been really fascinating, and um, generally, um, you know, I know you've got a few plans which are not in the public domain at the moment, but you've got plans coming for the rest of the year. So we'll get you back um, perhaps later in the summer, and you can give us an update on how things are actually going and happening. Because you said there's been a lot of work going on behind the scenes, um, and they'll start coming to fruition um, over the next few months. So exciting times ahead! Exciting times. So James, that's a, that's another week, as you say. The the month of March came in with a roar, and um, well, I'm not sure if it's gone going out with a lamb, but certainly um, spring is in the air. Certainly is here in the UK. So sunnier times ahead, hopefully. Yeah, well, tomorrow it'll be April Fools, right? I'll play a joke. Yeah, I must must make sure I don't pick the phone up in case you call me. The CyberFM website will be all video and no audio for April Fools. <laughs> well, that's good. You've certainly got your video coming, so that's that's really good news. That's All right, James. True. Well, well, thank you, thank you once again for um, for the show, and um, we'll be back on uh, next week um, when I'll be actually back from Australia. 
So oh, wow. down under, and um, okay. I'll I'll try and try not to smuggle a kangaroo back in via Heathrow. That could be a heck of a thing. Imagine, imagine what have you got in your bag? So kangaroo. <laughs> but there you go. All right, James. Thank you, and, and Daniel. Thank you once again for uh, coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you very much, guys. Have a great weekend. Take care.